The following program was pre-recorded and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Get ready to take notes because school is now in session. Tackling the biggest issues in education, this is Education America. Save the classroom, save the country. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Abigail Johnson. Welcome to Education America, where we're working to save the classroom so that we can save the country. K-12 education is the playing field where the battle is on for the future of our country. And as the 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, succinctly stated, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. Well, good evening, Abigail and our listeners. We are so excited that we have our special guest back with us again by phone tonight. Yes, we are continuing our conversation with Nancy Percy. Nancy is the author of The Toxic War on Masculinity, How Christianity Reconciles the Sexes. And she is, in addition to a many, many times over fantastic author, she is also a professor and scholar in residence at Houston Christian University. And we are just going to pick the conversation up right where we left off, because frankly, I don't want to waste a single minute Exactly, exactly. There's too many important topics here. So we ended our last podcast with you, Nancy, talking about the two different scripts, the competing scripts that men are hearing regarding masculinity. And you were sharing at the very end of the show, maybe you could quickly summarize those two scripts that men are hearing. Yeah, some some people have said, well, you know, Nancy Piercy has these two scripts. No, this is this no. is a finding of a sociologist. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. he, he was interviewing young men, and by the way, all around the world, this was a global study, and he found out that young men, if you ask them what does it mean to be a good man, would list things like honor, integrity, duty, sacrifice, you know, be a protector, be a provider. Mm-hmm. And then if he would say to them, okay, but what does it mean if I say man up, be a real man? Uh-huh. And the young men themselves said, that's completely different. That means be tough, be strong, never show weakness, suck it up, be competitive, get rich, and get laid. And mm-hmm. so this sociologist concluded that young men, on the one hand, it's fascinating that all around the globe, even in cultures that have no Christian background, they do know what it means to be a good man. Mm. I mm. think this is very encouraging. That is encouraging. But- they're made in God's image, and they have an inherent, innate knowledge that their masculine strength, because men do have unique strengths, mm-hmm. their unique masculine strength is not given them to get whatever they want, right. but it's given them in order to protect, provide for, and if necessary, fight for the people that they love. And yet, there's also a cultural script, what he called the real man, which is quite different, and it's not, they're not all bad. Right, We want people who could be tough at a crisis. But if it gets separated from a moral vision, then it can slide into entitlement and dominance and control and so on. Mm-hmm. And so, in a sense, I use this, this study as kind of a connecting thread through the whole book, saying how, you know, how does Christianity help support the good man, right. and how has a secular culture twisted that into the real man, 
and, you know, represented today by people like Andrew Tate, mm-hmm. you know, the masculinity paradigm of fast cars, fast money, fast girls. Yep. Uh, and, you know, where did, where did that Andrew Tate paradigm come from? So that's what I was trying to explain in the book, so that, so that Christians, too, can have a, a sense of uh, a critical, critical grid. You know, there was a young Christian man who came up to me the other day, um, and he was into Myron Gaines. Myron Gaines, so I had to look him up. Yeah, I don't know Myron who that Gaines is. Myron Gaines is being touted as the new Andrew Tate. Oh, okay. And Myron Gaines is best known for his tagline, I help men transform from simps into pimps. Oh, brother, you've got to be kidding me. And he has a book in which he says all relationships between men and women has been basically prostitution. All men are Johns. And this is who they're looking to, to give oh them a sense of masculinity. Goodness. So that's what we're up against is the secular definition of masculinity has really degraded. And we have to help our young men understand you don't have to reach out to those kind of online influencers to get a sense of masculine strength. You can get that from a biblical view of masculinity. Well, and this is just a reminder of what happens when you remove faith from a culture. There's a vacuum that gets formed, and it is going to fill with something. It's not going to remain neutral or empty. There's no such thing as a neutral school. There's no such thing as a neutral culture. We have become a post-Christian culture, and the fact that young people are looking to people like you're mentioning here, Andrew Tate and this Myron Gaines, um, is just a sign of the fact that the vacuum is now being filled. Yes. And it's not being filled with something beneficial to our culture and not even to women. No. I mean, you know, for women who maybe rail against this patriarchal notion of Christianity, which we talked about in the last show, actually turns out that 73% of evangelical Christian women are happier than their peers um, being in that evangelical Christian marriage. And so, um, but there is this secular idea that that's where the problem is. But in reality, it's the secular notion of masculinity that is really causing the problem. But you know what, Rebecca, I think is really interesting. And I, and I am seeing, you know, when you read Nancy's book, and I will be honest, everyone, you know, we've, we've chatted with some authors where they're, they are books that are easier to pick up. This one is worth your time. But I will say, I mean, I was up at an ungodly hour this morning and have done that many times because that's the only time my children leave me alone so that I can have uninterrupted time with this fantastic book. But I'm seeing all the puzzle pieces being put together through Nancy and her looking at the research. And I will say, there is a part of me that I can understand in addition to the removal of faith in culture. Mm -hmm. The other reason I think why we are more willing to, people are more willing to listen to ideas that people like Andrew Tate espouse is it's, it's the swing back from years of men being told Mm -hmm. you're a moron. The feminization of men. Yeah. You're a Mm -hmm. moron. Every every instinct you have is wrong. And how stupid are Mm -hmm. you? And Nancy, I'd love to chat a little bit about, um, your chapter in the book that talks about beating up on fathers. Why is mm-hmm. dad always the dimwit? Mm. So not the feminization of men, but the dumbing but, but, down of men. And yes. the, the okay. way culture yep. mm-hmm. denigrates you men gave the and example masculinity. of the show. Everybody loves Raymond. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm most, I'm sure some people are going, oh my gosh, it's been a while. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> yeah, well, one of the one of the book series that one of my son uh, read it was the Bernstein Bears. Do you remember mm-hmm. them? Yep. Yes. They yep. were, you know, the dad was always always the dimwit. The dad was always the bumbling idiot, and even the kids were smarter than the dad. And so, I mean, we all kind of know this that in the media, men are denigrated. Um, and especially fathers, mm-hmm. but we don't really know where it came from. Mm-hmm. And just like we talked about in the last session, it goes all the way back to the Industrial Revolution, because before that, in the colonial era, men worked alongside their wives and children all day, and especially their sons. Um, one historian says men were just as involved with their children as women were, which mm-hmm. is hard for us to even imagine these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, they spent just as much time, they were just as nurturing as mothers were. Um, so what happened? In the Industrial Revolution, work was taken out of the home. Men had followed their work out of the home. And for the first time, boys were not being raised by their fathers. Mm. There was a huge a huge gap, and we're so used to it now that we don't realize. But at the time, it was a it was a shock. If you read the literature of the day, people were shocked, saying, "What's well, happened to our fathers? You know, the mainstay of the family is not even home anymore from Sunday to Sunday." Hmm. Or um, the leading psychologist of the 19th century said, uh, "Never before has the Amor- the American boy been so wild." Because they were misbehaving, right? They were not yeah. being raised by a father, you know, the father's supervision. He said, never before have our, the American boy been so wild and so half-orphaned. That was his way of saying, you know, with the father not yeah. there, it's almost like being half an orphan. Mm-hmm. And now, now being uh, left up to female guidance in church, school, and home. And so at the time, people noticed that something was wrong, that boys were not having a strong masculine presence in their life anymore. And their behavior was, in fact, growing worse. And we know that today because today it's, it's not a left-right issue. You know, both sides of the political aisle, we know that fatherless homes are much more prone. You know, the boys growing up in fatherless homes are more prone to crime and addiction mm-hmm. and uh, dropping out of school yep. and getting girls pregnant, et cetera. And yet 40% of American children today live apart from their natural father. You know, the denigration of fathers in particular, I think, has driven men away from the home. It's the highest rate of single parenthood in the world. Wow. America has that. America. America. I did not know that. And I know uh, we have a we have a local um, African-American gentleman who talks a lot about this issue in the black community. And he's his name is Kendall Qualls, and he talks about I think in the black community it's something like seventy five percent of children are born into single parent homes without fathers, and he points to that as the single greatest cause of the decline of the black culture in America. Um, he brings it all back to the family. Mm-hmm. And absolutely. And and it is the reason the boys are falling behind. This was another the thing I put right at the beginning of the book. Like, why should we care about this? Because boys are falling behind at all levels of education. Some, mm-hmm. It starts in kindergarten, yes. but they don't have as good fine motor control, so they can't operate a scissors as well. Mm-hmm. So already in, in kindergarten, they're starting to feel like they're inferior. Uh, all the way through a high school, do better on test scores and in homework. More women than men go to college now. Yeah. The average college is 60% women, mm-hmm. 40% men. 
More women than men go to graduate school and even professional school like law and medicine. So there's books coming out with titles like The Boy Crisis and The Trouble with Boys and Why Boys Fail. Mm-hmm. And even as adults, then, what happens? Well, men are falling behind as well in, in relation both to where they used to be and in relation to women. That men are more likely to be uh, addicted to drugs and alcohol. They're more likely to be homeless, to, to commit suicide, to suffer mental illness, and, of course, to commit crime. You know, some yes. 90% of prison inmates are male. And they're even dropping out of the workforce. This is not showing up in the unemployment statistics because they stopped looking for work. So researchers had to dig deeper, and they tell us that male unemployment is now at Great Depression-era levels. Really? I had not heard this before. Great Depression-era, yeah. And, and, And by the way, also just life expectancy. Um, women's have stayed the same, but men's life expectancy has gone down. So that a, a, a magazine called The New Scientist put it this way, the single largest demographic factor in early death now is being male. Oh. So I think it's time for us to have some compassion right. on men and boys and to ask whether there aren't some programs that we need to start looking at to help give them a boost both in school and in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Boy, oh boy, that is so true. You know, I, I I hear what you're saying about this. I have over the years just run into people, um, get, get conversation or having conversation about how are your kids doing? And I am surprised at how frequently when I talk to people, um, if they have girls and boys, um, well, when it comes to their boy, well, college wasn't really for them. Um, you know, they're, 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 you know, they're just kind of doing this or they're doing that. And certainly not everybody, um, am I hearing that from, but it's much more common for me to hear that about a boy than a girl. And I'll give you a study on that. Yeah. The Brookings Institution did a study and they asked parents and parents were much more confident that their girls would succeed in life. They were not confident that their boys would succeed in life. Mm-hmm. So what you're finding is actually supported by the evidence. Yeah, that's really interesting. And what surprises me when I've had these conversations with these people is they seem to just accept it like it's just matter of fact. Like, oh, well, it's just the way it is. And I'm thinking, well, don't you have a problem with that? Like, I, you know, I only had sons, so I had, I had them, I held them all to a high standard. But um, Abigail has sons and daughters. And I mean, certainly there's a lot of families that do hold both their sets of children to the same standards. But it seems, too, that there is a part of this where parents just sort of come to accept it's although it's almost as though they think there's something wrong with their child. Like, well, I don't think they have what it takes or, um, you know, they're just, well, I think it's that. They think that their mm-hmm. child doesn't have what it takes when really I think they do have what it takes. They just haven't been given the right environment or they haven't been given the right tools to be able to excel. And, you know, a lot of that comes down to schooling and mm-hmm. how education addresses boys. And maybe we could turn our attention to that topic now, Nancy. You know, what would be your recommendation to educators like us? um, How how to um, really maximize all kids, but, you know, in particular, since boys are under attack so much right now, how do we especially help the boys? Well, uh, background is there's a reason the girls pull ahead. 1972 Title IX 
poured all kinds of money into educating girls. 1994 Gender Equity Act. Millions mm-hmm. of dollars have been poured into equity workshops and training materials and curriculum. And the thing is that nobody thought that girls would pull ahead. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they thought they would bring girls up to where boys were, but girls just charged right past boys. Yeah. You know, they're, they're excelling on all levels. But look, look, at, look at how they excelled. Is they were given a lot of help. There's been nothing like that for boys. There's been no programs for boys. And one of the, the woman who wrote the first book on the subject uh, was a feminist, interestingly enough, a feminist philosopher named Christina Hoff. Yep, I was going to ask you if you knew about that. I recommend that book to some of our teachers to read. It's an excellent book. Yes. And what she says there is uh, it's mostly feminists who stood in the way of any special program for boys because they would say, well, you know, boys end up reaching, you know, as adults, they end up reaching the higher echelons anyway, so they don't need any help. Mm-hmm. And so she's very frustrated with the fact that any any suggestion that was made that would be a program that would help boys has been shot down immediately. And so what we could do is be more creative in coming up with programs for boys. There is a new institute. Let me see if I can remember the name because it's brand new. There's a book by Richard Reeves, R-E-E-V-E-S, called Of Men excuse me, of boys, of boys and men, of boys and men. And he's at the, he has been at the Brookings Institution, so he's fairly liberal. Mm-hmm. And what it, rec- rep- it represents the fact that liberals are finally paying attention to this issue, which is oh, good. That's good. Mm-hmm. I agree. <laughs> Up until now, it's been mostly conservatives saying, what about our boys? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the first time that, and it took a lot of guts for him because he felt like he was going to meet a lot of opposition mm-hmm. um, championing boys. So he wrote the book, and now he has started an institute. I don't remember what it's called, but it's uh, you can look up his book or, or his website, Of Boys and Men, Richard Reeves. Richard. So he is going to be looking at, you know, researching all the different ways that we can help boys. What can schools do? What can parents do? And I would advise you to get on his mailing list mm-hmm. um, because he'll be putting out researched findings. You know, it's not just suggestions out of the air. So... I think this is wonderful that finally, um, like I said, the liberals are paying attention and realizing our culture is suffering. If men suffer, the mm-hmm. culture suffers. Right. If men, if men are not functioning well, it's women who pay the price. Right. So mm-hmm. it's in everybody's interest to yes. help boys and men succeed. Yes. I know one of the topics that we've addressed at our school on this issue is the idea of um, safety versus letting kids be kids. And um, I, I, you know, running a school and have been being a part of other schools prior, I saw that this whole idea of safetyism, and of course, Jonathan Haidt has really covered that mm-hmm. with in his book, um, The Coddling mm-hmm. the American Mind. But safetyism because of reasons that we won't even get into on this show, has taken on such a high value to so many parents that the idea of quote-unquote boy behavior then gets stamped out in the name of safety. So out on the playground, no, you, you know, I actually had a son that was at a private secular school who within the first couple days of kindergarten got sent to the office because he picked up a stick and pretended it was a gun. Mm-hmm. And when this teacher told me about it, of course, I was not happy as a mother. I said, are you kidding me? It's a stick. He's playing. 
And the response I got was, well, we have a zero tolerance policy on guns. (laughs) And I said, well, it's not a gun. It's a stick. (laughs) Yes, but he's using it as a gun. And this went back and forth a little bit until I realized this is ridiculous. Obviously, I'm not going to win this battle. And this is one of the conversations that prompted me to start Liberty. I will be honest with you. I had four sons going through a very liberal institution where they did not understand boy behavior at all. It was labeled as detrimental. It was labeled as wild. It was labeled as um, antisocial. I mean, it, it, it was a problem. And then many of those boys ended up on ADHD medication, mm-hmm. frankly. And that's a whole nother topic. And um, so I do think that one of the things schools can do is try to take a more balanced approach. I mean, certainly there has to be limits to what you're allowing your boys to do out on the playground and oh, what absolutely. have you. Um, but at the same time, you can't be telling every child who's wrestling and tumbling that stop, 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 you know, mm-hmm. because then what they're being told and, and Susanna Hoff covers this in her book, the internal message that those boys are getting is that I'm a bad person because mm-hmm. I want to wrestle when really that is completely a normal part of boy behavior and part of an important part of their development. Yep. And um, we have yeah. to help them find the right places for that mm-hmm. kind of behavior rather than saying it's bad find the right place. Yes. Well, in, in addition to a little bit outside of the academic realms, what I've seen um, is there has been a, a surge in, I would label these, they're public figures. So um, some of our listeners may be familiar with men such as Bedros Koulian, um, who has a very prominent platform. Um, and and I will say he, he's someone that will put shirts that say man up on there. So mm-hmm. I'm sure he hasn't necessarily read this particular book, but it's very, uh, it's great because he is recognizing there needs to be a space to develop and and to develop masculinity and manhood in boys. So he has been running up like kind of like camps and they're, they look, they resemble to me, they look like some sort of seal training camp. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously you're paying to do this, but men can bring their sons and you go through physical trials and tribulations together. Um, and he does talk about the emotional aspect of providing and and being a present father. Um, and he's even talked about um, ways that he's actually asked men to come in to do the course with boys that don't have fathers in their life mm-hmm. um, to, you know, serve as that. And so I would even just, I would love to see the church move on this with men who who have the capacity to, you know, do almost like a Christian version of, um, you know, the boys and girls. I was just going to bring it up. Mm -hmm. Big brothers. I mean, because what I see is, I mean, when my sons get to help dad with something, I mean, I wish I could videotape their faces when they're done. They are just, they are so proud. I helped daddy with whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And most of the time it means that they're sitting next to him and he's desperately trying to keep them from, derailing or ruining what he's trying to do um but he's he does a good job of involving them in in that and they you can just see that in them and that's something that as a mom i can't replicate that mm-hmm. I, I can see this is something that is different and that this is unique to how god made them that they have a deep need to have filled mm-hmm. yeah so nancy Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yes. Well, you know, one of the questions that you asked that you sent over ahead of time had to do with um, 
And you start. We started this way on an earlier question, but what about uh, the idea that somehow women are supposed to be taming men? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I thought we should cover that a bit because yes. I, that's in Christian circles too, big time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was interviewed by I was interviewed by a young couple, and so I turned the interview around and asked them some questions. Ooh. A young Christian couple, and I said, well, "What do you think? Is, is the double standard still a big deal?" in Christian circles among young women and men. And they said, oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. In, da- in the dating world, yes. It's just, under- it's just thought that men are naturally more prone to temptation, sin, and vice, and pornography, and so on. And it's up to women to, to hold them in check, you know, to hold the line, and to, to establish the boundaries in their relationship. And I think this is part of what's happening in schools, too. There's this sense that girls are good, you know, because they can sit still and, and do fine motor control activities. And I wanted to give some of that back on because that has deep roots as well. Yes. Um, back in terms of, uh, we talked about the, sec- the Industrial Revolution and how society secularized during that era and how, in a sense, Christianity and Christian values were kicked out of the public realm. Well, if they kicked out of the public realm, where would they be cultivated? Well, in the private realm, in the home. Mm-hmm. And in the private home, uh, where would they, who, who will be responsible for them? Well, women. Mm-hmm. And so in the 19th century was the first time ever in human history that women were said to be morally superior to men. Mm-hmm. It, you have to realize what a huge change this was, because all the way back to the ancient Greeks and Romans, people thought that men were morally superior, that they were more virtuous. Their reasoning went like this. They thought that insight into right and wrong is a rational insight, and they thought men were more rational, (laughs) and therefore men were more virtuous. Hmm. In fact, the word virtue, the Latin root is V-I-R, which means man. Interesting. I never knew that. I did not know that. Huh. Like the word virile. You know, a man is virile. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so... Up until the 19th century, it was thought that men were morally stronger, more in, in charge of their more behavior. And so this was a huge shift when women started being held responsible for men's behavior. It, it, after the Industrial Revolution, men would work out in, the, out in that secular arena, you know, business and industry, and they would come home at night where they were supposed to be refined and reformed and renewed by their morally superior wives. That was the, that was the notion. Uh, but I think that that has continued. Um, it's not just the Me Too movement, which was kind of the same thing, right? Women yes. are superior and have to call men to count. But I see it a lot in the Christian churches and Christian schools. One reason we haven't supported boys adequately is because in some ways we what you just said a minute ago about parents, they've kind of given up on their boys. Yeah. You know, the, yep. the, there is kind of a sense that, you know, boys are just naturally more wild, less civilized, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and that girls, the girls are superior. So I think we've, we need to take that head on and say, you know, even in Christian circles, we've tended to think girls are spiritually and morally superior, and we have to counter that with, no, women have their own faults and sins. Yep. You know, before the Lord, we're just as sinful as anyone else. Yes. And, uh, and, and that we need to have a higher 
higher expectations of our boys. Yes, we and do. You- and on that note, actually, because once again, we are out of time and down to our seconds, last seconds. So Nancy, thank you. That is an excellent thought for you to leave us with, that we need to address this issue in the Christian world as well, um, that boys and girls are, girls are not morally superior over boys, and we need to be addressing issues for both of them and encouraging uh, both sexes. So please check out Nancy's book, The Toxic War on Masculinity. And thank you so much for joining us tonight.